I Fell Into Grace, a Good Omens fic written by Werebear and read by BIP. When I stumbled, I stumbled not backward but forward. So when I fell, I fell into grace. Morgan Harper Nichols. After lunch at the Ritz, after Nightingale singing and all that rot, after Aziraphale kissed him softly just outside the Bentley when Crowley dropped him at the bookshop, after Aziraphale smiled and said, see you soon then, my dear. After Crowley watched him disappear into the shop and stood staring at the door with something deeply suspect and all too familiar happening in his chest, Crowley panicked. It was only a wee bit of panic, the kind where he went directly back to his flat, stepped carefully around the liquor stain on the carpet, paced for about three hours, then slept for 36, then woke up and panicked again. Then he berated himself for an idiot and started shoring up his defenses. Obviously, he'd long had wards and alarms set to warn him of angelic presences, powers, principalities, or whatever the heaven they were calling themselves these days. That was just basics. But his defenses against other demons had to be subtler, couldn't risk the suggestion that he wasn't as committed to the cause as they'd like. It might be a given that demons don't trust one another, but there were limits to the degree to which you could blatantly rub that in your boss's scabby, putrefying faces. It had helped, in his sigil designing back then, that he'd had to figure out how to make exceptions and allowances for one certain angel. Good practice for the intricate and subtle designs that surreptitiously warned of demonic approach. Anyhow now, fuck subtle. There had been limits, but things had changed, hadn't they? And Crowley was in favor of holding those changes. So he set up an entirely new array of much more aggressive wards and alarms against both divine and occult powers. It involved a fair amount of chalk and a reference to note files in his, on his mobile and the one crumbling old book that had actually gotten most of this sort of thing right and just a bit of hellfire lighting up the relevant curly cues in the diagrams. It all took longer than he'd really intended, another three days, though it would have only been two if he hadn't lost a not insignificant amount of time to thinking about a certain angel and his gentle press of lips and his warm breath on Crowley's cheek, and his bloody beaming face, and <sighs> finally he was finished. He misted his plants and gave them only a cursory scolding, and after a moment, carefully picked one up and took it with him over to Aziraphale's bookshop. He was still a demon after all. He didn't bother to knock, just slipped in the front door past the closed sign. It seemed strangely still inside. Angel, Crowley called. He set the plant he'd brought on a little table by the door with a stern look and stepped further into the shop. It was dim and so quiet. A cream-colored jacket hung on the coat rack. There was a trace of an unfamiliar scent that Crowley didn't much like, but he could feel him here somewhere, not like that terrible day. Dear someone, was it just a week ago? He wasn't used to having to care so much about such small increments of time, honestly. When he'd burst in there, flames everywhere, already knowing he was too late and Aziraphale was gone. Aziraphale, he shouted more insistently. Maybe he was upstairs. Maybe he was at the pub nearby. Maybe... Crowley peered the length of the building as much as possible through the partial maze of shelving. He could just see the couch toward the back of the shop near the desk 
the one that Crowley privately thought of as his own. And of course, he'd noticed its suspicious gradual lengthening over the years, the evolution from cozy love seat until he could flop lankily across it and stretch really satisfactorily, until it could even accommodate two beings, one sitting up calmly reading and the other curled and pretending to sleep, not quite touching. But he wasn't thinking about that just now. On that couch, curled up in one corner, Aziraphale was leaning, very still. His tie was hanging undone, his collar loose, and he was wrapped up tightly in his fluffy white wings, his knees pulled up, arms around them. There were little eddies of clutter about him, as always, several mugs, a bottle of single malt whiskey, nearly empty, the ubiquitous pile of books and papers, pens and quills and gramophone records, and scraps of paper and scarves and... Dear somebody, was that a lap harp in the corner? But today they seemed to be at high tide. He was very still, his head a little bent and leaning against the back of the couch and staring out the window too blankly. It should have been nothing, but Crowley was struck with an overwhelming impression of a lamp, low and guttering. No, not a lamp, a pale winter sun guttering, darkening. Crowley had thought he was done panicking for at least one week, and he had very much thought wrong. Possibly he teleported across the shop. He'd probably never know for sure. All he knew was that he was suddenly kneeling by Aziraphale's feet, and also his voice wasn't working properly. Aziraphale wasn't, he wasn't breathing. He isn't a mortal, the back of Crowley's mind growled at him. You have been on this plane too long as he panicked again, which was almost certainly true, but at least it jump-started his vocal cords enough to creak out. Xerophale, come on, you great fluffy burke, wakey-wakey. I thought you weren't keen on sleeping. He was so wrapped in his wings, and Crowley couldn't, he wouldn't just touch them, not without invitation. But Xerophale's hands were hanging limply on his shins, just barely visible beneath feathers and Crowley reached out and grasped his chilly fingers. Aziraphale blinked once very slowly, then more rapidly, his eyes coming back into focus, and he inhaled. Crowley exhaled. Aziraphale. Aziraphale blinked again, swallowed, and then said in a steady, scratchy voice, I wasn't sleeping. Crowley knew that perfectly well. That hadn't been sleep at all. Sleep didn't make you go all dim like that, but he wasn't sure what it had been. Crowley sat well back on his heels as Aziraphale began to stir. He watched him grimace a little, putting his feet down on the floor, as if embarrassed to be caught with them up on the furniture, which was ridiculous because Crowley had seen him prop his feet on the coffee table or the desk more times than he could possibly count. Aziraphale stretched a bit, cracked his neck. Goodness, I didn't. What time is it? The words sounded normal, but his voice seemed drained. He paused, glancing around. What, what a day is it? Saturday morning, Crowley said. Wink, a week since not Armageddon Day, he added, just realizing. Then, seeing the look on his face. Aziraphale, how long have you been like this? Um, Aziraphale, a mumble. 
Curly opened his mouth, but before he could make a sound, Aziraphale said louder, Since Tuesday evening, I think. And then Curly make, made a sound like a tea kettle. I'm sorry to have worried you, dear, Aziraphale said, but he still sounded... If a flat tire could speak, it might have sounded something like that. Curly creaked to his feet. Worried, he said darkly. How did... He turned in a circle, casting about briefly. Aziraphale had, oh wow, some rather impressive anti-demon wards. Crowley was going to have to take notes later, though not much in the way of anti-celestial, just a few alarms. <clears throat> but there was no scent of supernatural beings present re recently beyond the two of them. He turned back to the angel, who still had his wings out and around himself and was, unsurprisingly, looking rather peaky after at least three bloody days of some mysterious inert state. Curly snapped his fingers, then handed him the resulting glass of water. Oh, thank you. Curly watched him drink it, eyes narrowed, then asked, So what happened? Aziraphale shook his head a little, looking down at the empty glass in his hands. They were shaking slightly. Curly bit his own tongue hard. He flicked the side of the glass with a finger, filling it again. Drink that. He tried and failed not to snap, and then stalked over to a low cupboard in the far corner. Five minutes and one magically boiling kettle later, heating things didn't even count as a miracle when you were a demon, after all. And he came back to the couch with a tray. The tray contained tea in large mugs and three sour cherry scones, still warm, nicked through the air from that bakery over near King's Cross. Curly was set to defend himself on the subject of the scones. I slipped a couple of quid in the till, Angel, don't fret. But he didn't even get a frown over them. In fact, Aziraphale barely seemed to notice them, just ate, steadily but without any of his usual flair and delight. And this was by far the most chilling development yet. Curly conceded far enough to sit at the other end of the couch and drink his own mug of tea, more of a silent encouragement than anything else. He did nothing to hide his ex expectant staring, though. At last, Aziraphale finished, sighed, shifted. I'm just feeling rather down, he said hesitantly. Curly froze for a long moment. Shit. He took off his sunglasses and leaned forward. Ah, uh, it's not, is it my fault? Aziraphale looked relievingly taken back. What? Now Curly felt entirely big-headed, but just to be clear, I mean, because we, he gestured vaguely to his face, and then I, I'm sorry, I meant to call, but I got rather involved in a project, and now Aziraphale's expression was almost amused and so much lighter that it was well worth whatever mockery Crowley might get for assuming. No, no, dear, I certainly didn't think you were having second thoughts, or his lips compressed in an obvious effort not to smile, uh, playing hard to get, or anything like that. Crowley could feel the blush on his face. He despised blushing. It clashed with his hair and his eyes and his very nature, damn it. No, no second thoughts, he made himself say, blushing harder. But oh, Aziraphale's soft eyes were worth it. Darling, Aziraphale said in that voice, 
and Crowley had to sip some more tea purely in self-defense. So then what? Crowley began. Aziraphale looked away and Crowley wanted to let it go, but what if something about recent events? So many to choose from, Aziraphale murmured, fiddling with the spoon in his tea. True, but Crowley swallowed. Anything happened while you were in hell? They hadn't talked that much about the swapping of faces yet. Aziraphale had been rather bright and animated, gleeful in telling his account right after. The contrast between that energy and his current deflated state made Crowley feel rather like he was going to choke. Crowley himself had said almost nothing about his side of the adventure. He was hesitant, and he wasn't entirely sure why. It wasn't like him to downplay, was it? Not like him to pass up a chance to brag about a brilliant performance, even though... All right, he knew why. Part of it was because he had felt so bloody careful. He had even walked carefully, more carefully than he ever had in his entire existence. And it wasn't just about trying to pass as a zero fail. It was also that he couldn't believe it was working. How could he be in the body of an angel? And not just any angel, the best of them by far. The most kind, the most loving, the most lovely. His angel and not be instantly struck by lightning. Why didn't they explode? It was baffling, unnerving, overwhelming, and also an honor. He had been so wary. But what if it had done Aziraphale some sort of damage to be trapped in the body of a demon, even for less than a day? Aziraphale shook his head in answer and made a face. No, not particularly, he said. I didn't like it. Crowley almost laughed. Shocking. Aziraphale looked at him sidelong. It was... He shook his head, picking at the edge of a white feather with one hand. They killed another demon there, testing the water. He frowned in concentration. I, I don't know his name. A little round demon? Little wings? Sort of friend-shaped. Oh, what? The usher? Crowley scowled, felt a jarring of some emotion. A distant memory of a chat and a mutual grooming once, maybe 3,000 years ago? Bastards. Why? Aster said, he just said, wrong place, wrong time, said Aziraphale slowly. Sounds like Haster. Curly didn't understand why Aziraphale's eyes were so intent and distressed, fixed on Curly's face. What? Aziraphale looked away. I hated it. I I thought of you. Me? Aziraphale fidgeted with the spoon some more. You before. Before everything. Wrong place, wrong time. Not even to mention, he seemed to rouse a little, indignation all over his dear round face. They were going to do the same to you. Just a mock trial for the entertainment value. Crowley shrugged. The one thing to be said for hell, they were on occasion almost reassuringly predictable. I had to keep your glasses on, Aziraphale continued. I was afraid I'd give it away. I couldn't bear the thought of you down there, not ever. It was so hellish, Crowley said, not quite smirking. Aziraphale shot him a disapproving look. Dirty and cramped and horrid. You down there with nothing you love, no plants, no Bentley, no freedom. 
No fretting angels, Curly said before he could stop himself. Aziraphale's face softened. Yes, dear, I know. All right, well, so almost Armageddon was a bit tiring and then hell was unpleasant and then an inconsiderate demon kissed you and ran off without a word. <clears throat> I think if you recall correctly, I kissed you, Aziraphale said, right? And I told you it's not about that. Not even a little. Crowley immediately felt ashamed, realized he sort of wanted it to be about him, which was rotten of him. He shouldn't want to make his angel unhappy. But Aziraphale smiled a little as if he understood. The merest smidge, perhaps, he said, but you needn't worry about it. So what should I be worrying about then? Aziraphale's face went a bit blank. I... Crowley raised an eyebrow expectantly. I'm not sure I should tell you. Why not? It's not important, necessary, appropriate. Crowley had counter-arguments at the ready for all. He wasn't prepared for Aziraphale to say, consider it. Crowley stopped and blinked. Not consider it. He pulled back, eyes narrowing, and looked around again at the detritus. The books, the papers, the specifics of them. The lap harp in the corner and a musical score scattered next to it, open to Edelweiss. This was about... Oh, oh. For an awful moment, Curly felt all that old rage and bitterness. So old. Older than the earth, rushing through him like a flash flood out in those American deserts. You see, Angel, it taunted. See, this is what it feels like. You let them do this to us, to me, didn't you? See how you like it. At least they let you keep your wings intact. At least it lasted only a second, a blink of eyes, before he felt an equally strong rush of, ugh, it was tenderness, it was sorrow, it was fucking compassion. It should feel like a cloying film of holiness on his skin, but he'd become unavoidably inured over the years. And now, well... Now he could feel what he liked, couldn't he? And all his superiors could just go to hell, or stay in hell. Could all just jump into a lake of holy water for all he cared. He turned, leaned forward. You haven't fallen, Aziraphale. Aziraphale dropped his eyes. I, I know, I... You haven't, Crowley said again, insistently. I'd know. Hell's you'd know, trust me. Aziraphale took a breath. I do know. I know you're right. It's not even the same thing, and I shouldn't. It's why I didn't go to your flat earlier this week before. It's just, how could I talk about this to you? Who else are you going to talk about it with? As soon as Crowley said it, he wanted to wince. That's also true, Aziraphale smiled ruefully and shook his head. I'm too soft. I shouldn't worry about talking about it at all. Now Crowley wanted to snarl. Who told you that? What? Who told you you were too soft? Aziraphale looked taken aback. No one in particular. I just... He fluttered. Isn't it obvious? He gestured vaguely. Crowley knew Aziraphale. He wasn't a human, and he didn't mean his rounded face or his belly or his... His thighs, 
all of which Crowley was still hoping to see significantly more of at some later date. He didn't even mean his wings, still wrapped around him now, nest-like, or his relentless pursuit of comfortable pillows and clothes and sustenance. Crowley knew he meant his heart, his fucking soul, his core of love and faith, and, and if Gabriel and those other bastards had done this to his angel, then Crowley only wished he could step back in time and breathe out that hellfire just a little faster and further than he had. Aziraphale was going on, though. <clears throat> anyway, there's nothing about that that can be, be helped, at least not right now, so... You listened to me, Crowley said, interrupting, plenty of times. Back before all this, I'd get completely plastered because some days I just, I just couldn't bear it, and I tried not to say anything because it was stupid. It wasn't like wallowing in the past could, could make me not a demon. Crowley cleared his throat. Not like you could fix it, but you, you listened and touched my wings, he thought, softly. The number of times he'd taken out that memory, like the most precious of pearls, you'd think it would be dulled by now, but it wasn't, not a jot. He looked at Aziraphale's wings, and then looked out the window and sat still, resisting twin urges, to reach out or else to sit on his hands. Talking about it didn't change it, but it helped. Helped me. Maybe it could help you. Crowley could see the inner battle all over his angel's dear, transparent face, and he pressed his advantage, because he was sort of evil after all. I want to listen, he said, as gently as he could manage. Oh, I... Aziraphale's hands were wrapped around his mug, but Crowley could see them twitch. Thank you, he said, very simply, before falling silent. Bars of early afternoon sunlight, glinting with dust, lengthened a bit across the worn rug and the scuffed boards of the floor. Crowley was probably the most patient demon in existence, but that wasn't saying much at all, was it? Still, he waited until Aziraphale stirred again. I just... His shoulders sank. I've lost them. I've... I've lost, and, and I can't go back, not even one last time, can I? He didn't say it like a question, of course. He was clever, after all. He shook his head ruefully and looked at Crowley. My last time up there, and it wasn't even me, it was you. Crowley winced a little. He hadn't talked about it. He hadn't wanted to talk about the memories, about the look of the light, the feel of the ether. The knowledge that his other form, his true form, would probably have been obliterated on the spot just standing there. All that was true, but now, now he realized it was also this, that he knew, he knew it would hurt Aziraphale to hear how Gabriel and the others behaved. It would hurt him so very badly, and Crowley didn't want to be responsible for that. He should have known he wouldn't be able to avoid it. You're well shut of it, Curly said, not harshly. Still looks like a high-end car dealership gone wrong. Gabriel's still there, and that's enough reason to stay as far away as possible. Aziraphale smiled a little, as Curly meant him to, but he still looked... Curly didn't want to say it. He knew it had only hurt him more, but he couldn't stand to see him looking so miserable over these fucking bastards. He said, almost pleading... They didn't even have a trial, Aziraphale, not even a pathetic sham of one. 
They didn't blink. They didn't hesitate. They told you to. Curly shut his eyes and gritted his teeth. They hadn't even had the courtesy to throw him into the flames. They told him to step in, all on his own, like they already knew he would do it, just because he was so goddamn obedient deep down, so fucking goddamn faithful that he'd let himself be destroyed forever, and they knew that. And they still would just throw it away like it was nothing, like he was nothing and for nothing, nothing more than empty pride and pathetic power scrambling like it was anything next to the way Aziraphale just was, the way he shone like a stupid fucking beacon of... Don't catch on fire, dear, said Aziraphale gently, and Crowley gasped and bent over a little, holding his head, trying to quiet it. And it would have worked, too, if it wasn't for Agnes. He'd be gone, gone. He took another breath and another, cooling, quieting. I imagine, Aziraphale said at last, that they told me, well, that they wouldn't listen. Crowley looked at him, at his bowed white blonde head, at his soft hands, squeezing the mug. I know how Gabriel can behave when he's thwarted and furious. I know how they... I didn't want to think Agnes was right, but Aziraphale looked up and his face was so weary. My dearest, did you think I didn't know? Then why? Crowley's voice cracked embarrassingly. He wasn't even sure what he meant by the question. Aziraphale seemed to understand it all the same. It's foolish, I'm aware, he shook his head. Perhaps I shouldn't still love them, but then, with a twitch of his mouth, that's what they'd say about my loving you, dear. Oh, sure, Crowley thought distantly. Sure, he just says it. And how? How does he just say it? And, oh, oh, he finally, he... Aziraphale turned the mug around in his hands, around and around. I don't like to think of it. I've never liked to think of it. I don't like to think about how little has really changed now. I felt the difference between them and me for such a long time. Every time I saw them, it would hurt because he wrinkled his nose and thought in consternation. They were so clueless. As if, Curly thought, reference and also, sar and also sarcasm. Aziraphale gave him a fond, exasperated look that said, I know what you're thinking. I know you saw that film four times in the first week. And not in the good way, in the way that doesn't care. Dismissive. They stopped understanding why God would care about mortals at all. They're too old and too strong and too much more powerful than any human. And they they thought everything was about, about winning and beating you all. Curly nodded in encouragement. Keep going, Angel. Get it off your chest. Secretly, he also felt a wee bit smug. Didn't need to talk about it, my arse, Angel. Xerophil's voice picked up in volume and speed. So many of them... They don't see any of this. Everything's small and fragile and essential. They don't care. They're disdainful and blasé and irritable, like human children tormenting ants. Worse than, it doesn't even occur to them that they should do anything else. They're so sure that they're right. And all they care about is the power to do it because they're, they're fucking bored. 
Curly listened to his fierce voice, a thrum underneath it. He thought about a cherubim at the wall of a garden, giving a flaming sword to two helpless mortals out of kindness, out of compassion. And it wasn't just softness of heart. It was the willingness to relinquish that power, to share it. And who else would have done that? Not the archangel fucking Gabriel, that was certain. Even if you got in trouble for it, even if it came back to bite you later. What a fuck up it all was. Still, I gave it away, he heard distantly in his head, in his memory. And he felt that same burning leap of the heart that he had felt all those thousands of years ago. Aziraphale was going on, a hand worrying at the edges of his secondary feathers, pulling the barbs apart. And I'm an idiot. They weren't listening to me even when I did try. I didn't want to see it. And I, I wanted them to be better. I wanted to hope that they could. He stopped and swallowed. Curly kept his face very still. Change, forgiveness, never been his forte, not even before. He was reasonably sure that he didn't have it in him to look into Gabriel's punchable face and think, maybe there's hope for you, especially after recent developments. Good thing it wasn't his job. One of Aziraphale's hands plucked at another feather. The other fidgeted with his mug. I hoped, but I never expected them to change, I suppose, not really. I wanted to hope so much, though, because they weren't always like that. Aziraphale hesitated, looking, looked into Crowley's eyes. Oh, I see, Crowley thought. He felt the corner of his mouth quirk up ruefully and gave a little go-on-then lift to the chin. Doesn't want to make me sad, he thought fondly. It's not like I've forgotten, Angel. It wasn't like he could ever forget. Unwilling to just take the hint, Aziraphale said slowly, I know that you know this. Well, it's been a long time. In the spirit of honesty, he added, I do try not to think about it much. Aziraphale nodded. And, and I'm so sorry again, my dear. I know that your circumstances were, are so much different, so much worse. I know you're much more relieved to be rid of hell than I am about this. It's not about winning a contest, Angel. Aziraphale laughed thickly. Yes, yes, you're quite right. Still, he fiddled with his empty mug some more until Crowley gently plucked it from his fingers and stretched backwards at an improbable angle to set it on the side table behind him. Then he settled back down, cross-legged, closer, facing the angel, and took both his hands in his own. I want to listen, he said. Aziraphale took a shuddering breath. His wings shuddered more quietly, almost soundless. His voice was soft but steady, though, as he spoke. They weren't always like that. I remember when they, when we used to create things together. Stars and plankton and mantis shrimp and algae and whales and bowerbirds and magpies and sparrows. Big fan of the fifth day, were you? Crowley murmured, and Aziraphale laughed. Not nearly as much as Hanael, remember? I do. And remember Israfil and the songbirds? Aziraphale shook his head, smiling, but it was shaky. 
and even insufferable Gabriel used to help everything go more smoothly. Curly pressed Aziraphale's soft, strong fingertips with his own long, bony ones, and Aziraphale squeezed back. I remember the singing. I remember, said Aziraphale, and now his voice was shivering, slipping. When we were, were family, when we were like those marvelous Incan walls, the the polyagonal masonry, all those very different stones, but slotted together perfectly, working together. And oh God, and now. How deeply unimaginative hell can be, Crowley thought. Watching Aziraphale's face right now, struggling for composure, like a sandcastle sliding over under the tide, was so painful, it made Crowley want to armor himself, to turn into a tortoise or a cockroach, or one of those Ankylosaurus dinosaurs. Shame they'd never existed. It was awful. It was embarrassing. It made him want to be mean just to distract them both away from it. He bit his tongue again. Aziraphale was whispering, probably to avoid sniveling, said Crowley's mind, to which he snarled in response, you shut up. Now, now I'm alone, and even though it's been so, so long since I really connected with them, I still, I still want them, but they don't want me, and I just... Aziraphale's face had never been a castle of any kind, had it? There were no walls in it to come down. Aziraphale's face was like sleeping out of doors, bare in a field, under a sky of endless stars, open to everything, projecting bloody everything. And now this, oh, Crowley knew this. He remembered this. I just, I feel forsaken, Aziraphale said, and he gasped like he was breathing in hellfire, eyes squinching shut. He ducked his head and tried to pull his hands up to cover his face. Here, love, Crowley said roughly and gathered into a, him into his arms instead so Aziraphale could press his face into Crowley's chest and hide his sobbing there. Crowley drew him closer and folded him in dark wings. I know. There hadn't been anyone to hold him through this so long ago, but he was here now. Ahuvi, ahuvati, he whispered again and again, sing song into Aziraphale's ear. My love, my love, my love. Crowley wasn't sure exactly how long they stayed like that, rocking slightly. He only sounds small, broken ones vibrating against him in his own murmuring. It wasn't quite the old celestial tongue that had been burned out of him by the fall, but it was close, the closest he could come. Some of the words were even the same. Even when Aziraphale quieted at last, he still shivered and clutched at Crowley's shirt forehead pressed to his collarbone, so Crowley stayed put. At some point, it occurred faintly to Crowley to wonder if angel tears would qualify as holy water. He felt them stinging a bit on his skin, where his shirt dipped at the neck. Well, he hadn't melted yet. He pulled Aziraphale closer again until the angel sighed and sat up. He wiped tears off his face, nose red and drippy, and yet somehow managed to look particularly cherubic when he said, disgruntled, 
crying. What a wretched system. Crowley couldn't remember the last time he'd seen Aziraphale cry. Demons, of course, did not cry at all. Aziraphale shook his head impatiently and said, and I'm a wretched host, too, aren't I? I should get you... Aziraphale, Crowley said, rolling his eyes and tucked on his arm. And it's a mess in here, Aziraphale said weakly, glancing around. But he subsided and wiggled in under Crowley's arm, head tucked sideways into his shoulder. Crowley valiantly refrained from pointing out the obvious, which was that the place was always a tip, and instead just let his chin rest on the top of Aziraphale's head. His eyes wandered around the room as he listened to Aziraphale's unnecessary but soothing breathing. Thought your lot didn't play hearts, Crowley said at last. Possibly should have thought it first, but Aziraphale's mouth crooked up. They really don't, he said, but I was rather intoxicated earlier. Yeah, said Crowley. Not now, though. He realized belatedly that he was stroking Aziraphale's feathers with two fingers of one hand. He almost jerked his arms away, but... Your coverts are in a state, Crowley said instead. Aziraphale looked up and blinked. Oh, well, I suppose they remembered. Oh, you, you remember? Every bloody day. Of course, don't you? Do you think I let just anyone? He didn't say. Well, yes. So my turn. He wanted to pet the white feathers again, but didn't. Oh, why? Aziraphale's eyes were big in his face and he swallowed. He had that, oh, but I don't want to impose expression on. Crowley leaned in enough to say, quietly, right into Aziraphale's ear, Angel, let me, please. Aziraphale shivered. Yes, he said, taking a great breath. Yes, all right. He sat up abruptly and suddenly phased his wings away and awkwardly shrugged off his open waistcoat. Crowley caught his breath. Aziraphale avoided his eyes, saying, May as well do things properly, as he began undoing the buttons on his pale blue shirt. Suppose so, said Crowley, tea-kettling internally. Wings are there and not there in stages. They can be invisible or just a vague outline out of sync with the current dimension. They can also be visible and touchable and so forth without being fully manifest on this plane, which was usually the most convenient option. Thanks somebody or Aziraphale would have destroyed his favorite coat back at the apocalypse, and Crowley would have had to listen to him complain about it for at least the next century. So in a sense, they're always there, but sometimes there is a fluid concept. But for this, Crowley would swear on anything anyone would like that he'd only meant this as some soothing comfort preening. He wasn't trying to start anything that would require officially making an effort, if you will. But he knew what properly meant. Not some humanly seductive thing, but far worse. It meant Aziraphale bringing his wings out onto this plane fully, where they would be fully present, fully vulnerable. Not to mention, probably, his preen gland, and maybe, in theory, that was normal for the activity at hand, but it was also wildly intimate, and Crowley swallowed hard and willed himself not to spontaneously discorporate. 
Do you want me to fetch your kit thing? Crowley asked. He didn't want to assume anything, not today. He was dizzyingly, mortifyingly desperate not to fuck this up. No, 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 no need, Aziraphale answered, turning away. He tugged his sleeves off his wrists, then pushed the shirt off his shoulders. The tails were still tucked into his trousers, and he let it hang down at the waist. Crowley just got a glimpse of Aziraphale's pale back and soft sides before he brought his wings back out in a near-silent rush of displaced air and a scent like dawn in the desert. They were so large in full form like this, even half-folded. The bend of them above his head. Crowley tentatively put a hand on one. Aziraphale's feathers nearly glowed, and they were soft, almost like an owl's. They were also a disaster. Ruffled feathers, crooked and disheveled, many of them pulled apart and ragged, unkempt at the edges. Oh, for pity's sake, he swore at the sight, exasperated. Aziraphale ducked his head, but he sounded almost pleased to hear it. I know, I know. You're a fright, Angel, said Crowley and paused. Where's your... Right? Aziraphale looked over his shoulder and reached behind him awkwardly. There, mid-back. He looked as frustrated as a human woman who couldn't quite reach her brassiere clasps, an expression Crowley remembered in the mirror all too well from his time as Warlock's nanny. It's deucedly hard to reach in this form, I'm afraid. Well, for me. Hmm. Mine's more here. Crowley tapped the spot on a Aziraphale, higher just where the top of his shoulder blades would touch if he stretched. Easy for Crowley's long arms to reach on himself, he had to admit. Still, no excuse for this state, Crowley refrained from saying. I can hear you thinking, said Aziraphale in a smiling voice. He probably didn't mean it literally. Well, next time I'm going to say it, Crowley groused. Luckily, you're such a pitiful sight right now. He didn't let himself hesitate. There was a small patch like a birthmark on Aziraphale's mid-back, and Crowley drew his fingers across it lightly. They came away sheened with oil, and Aziraphale shivered. It smelled a little of almonds, of dates. Crowley remembered it from that night. He hadn't done any proper grooming for almost a month to let the smell linger for as long as possible. But he didn't have to admit that, did he? Crowley began the preening. Aziraphale's feathers obviously required somewhat different care than his own. He combed through the long flight feathers, carefully zipping up barbules and straightening the shafts. Then, his fingers almost dry again, he started working underneath, attending to some of the underlayers. Every heaven and hell, Crowley thought, helpless with discovery. He has powder-down feathers on his shoulders. The down was under the scapulars, cloud-like, insubstantial, so soft that it confused the signals to Crowley's skin when he touched it. You're so soft, Crowley said, wonderingly. Yes, I do think we discussed that earlier. Aziraphale's voice seemed a little strained. Crowley thought again of the sword, of those tears. It's hard to be soft, he said quietly. He fluffed up the down with the tips of his fingers. True to the name, the powder down left a pale dusting on his finger pads. Hard to be soft and staunch. Hard to keep letting things hurt you every time. Moved on down to the other shoulder. 
hard to keep loving things. Aziraphale twisted a little, peered back over his shoulder, his face half puzzled. It's not, I mean, I just, what? God, he has no idea, Curly thought in her general direction, wherever that was. He never really does, does he? He shook his head and ducked his head enough to kiss Aziraphale's wing, a brief brush of lips. From this close, Curly could see that not all the feathers were pure white. Some were shot through with silver or had gold stippling across the quills. You are soft, darling. It's why I worship you. Blasphemy, Aziraphale murmured, shivering. Curly smiled like a shark or like a demon. That's my job, love. Hmm. Aziraphale turned back and dropped his chin. Was your job. Touché. Continuing, Curly gathering a little more oil on his fingers, trying not to obsess over the soft inhale Aziraphale made when he did. The angel had turned enough in his seat that he could pull up his knees and his forehead rested on them while his spine curved sweetly over. Curly tried to focus, but he couldn't help lingering some over Aziraphale's left wing. Ugh, he was getting positively maudlin in his advanced existence. But Curly started to notice that Aziraphale was still shaky and seemed to be getting more tense. That didn't seem right. Last time, when Aziraphale had groomed him, well, it was true that Curly had been a bit stubbornly drunk, but mostly he had been blissed out on the warmth, on the angel's presence, even on the sense of safety, which was maybe the most precious of all. He never let anyone near his wings, no one, not for the last 2,000 years, not if he could help it. Alone in his flat, he would stretch and contort and magic some floating combs about in the air to keep his wings neat and in order. Being able to relax and let someone else get all the tricky spots, having someone to do it at all, was almost more than he'd been able to endure 12 years ago. But right now, he could see Aziraphale's shoulders rounding and tensing. He could feel a slight tremor in his wings every time he touched them. And it, surely this wasn't right. He was close to finished with the preening, though he didn't want to stop. To be honest, he was feeling a bit dazed with the tremulous thrill of seeing, of finally touching. But it really wasn't right. Angel, he said, pausing. Are you all right? Do you need me to stop? Aziraphale shook his head, face against his beige trouser knees. Unconvincing, Curly said gently, and put a hand on the skin of his shoulder. What's up? You seem... Aziraphale lifted his face to the ceiling, eyes closed. His voice came out a bit pinched, almost peevish. I don't want you to stop, Curly. I'm just... Tense as fuck, said Curly wryly, and squeezed his shoulder. Aziraphale's skin twitched in a rolling shudder like a horse out in the sun. Curly was not a fan of horses, but he still wanted to stroke him soothingly. I'm just sensitive, very sensitive. He laughed, nervous. It's rather embarrassing. Oh, Curly considered this. Just been a while? You could say. That sounded... When's the last time? I don't know. I don't remember. What? Curly tried not to gape. 
thought upstairs would be all touchy-feely, groom and kiss and hug it out. At least sometimes, surely. Not, not recently, Aziraphale put his head down again so that it was muffled when he said, Partly it's the earthly form as well, perhaps. I don't know what to do with all of this. Sometimes my skin aches. He said it in a whisper like something shameful, and fuck that, obviously. Well, fuck that, obviously, Crowley said aloud. And if his angel needed some touching, it was by far the most pleasant duty he could imagine accepting. He scooted closer and ran his hands firmly up either side of Aziraphale's spine. Aziraphale seemed to bite off a squeak. All right. His shoulders wiggled under Crowley's hands, but also leaned back into them. Yes. Good, thought Crowley, and kept going, stroking firmly up and down his back, then venturing over, down over his ribs, and to the soft curve of his sides. The way Crowley's fingers pressed in, dimpling into the padding there, it was comfort and richness. It was glorious, and Crowley was not going to swoon. He was not. Aziraphale gasped and said something indistinct. What was that? Feathers, too. He took what was obviously meant to be a steadying breath, if you please. Always so bloody polite. Crowley grinned dizzily and slid one hand around to Aziraphale's delightfully plump belly, pulling him close, and then brushed a free hand up over the middle of Aziraphale's back, his breath skipped, echoed by Crowley's, and over to his left wing. He insinuated his fingers in among the secondary coverts, carefully but relentlessly, all the way to the base of the feathers, under the layer above, brushing the velvety skin hidden there. Aziraphale gave a proper whimper. Crowley was panting himself, pressing closer and closer, outright draped over Aziraphale's back at this point, cheek resting against his shoulder. He was so warm, and he smelled like Crowley felt positively drunk. He must have oil all over his shirt. He kept his hands moving a little, soft and rhythmic. Aziraphale was gasping and clutching at Crowley's arm across his chest. His hair tickled Crowley's nose as his head tipped back. Crowley was sorely tempted to shift into a snake for more com comprehensive twining, but then he wouldn't have hands to hold on with, would he? He sighed against the skin of Aziraphale's neck and then let his tongue flicker out, softly, smell-tasting. Aziraphale gave a devastating moan and lurched forward away. Crowley might have protested, but he was back directly, almost faster than Crowley could blink, back and climbing into Crowley's lap, straddling his hips, pressing him backwards into the couch. He was shaking, their faces close, their, his hands fluttering in little taps across Crowley's chest and shoulders, thumbs brushing his sharp collarbones. I want... His eyes were big, his voice unsteady. He touched Crowley's upper wing, a wobbly caress. I want to do yours, too, again. I, I should... I want... Later, love, Crowley said, not entirely steady himself, and kissed him. It just barely occurred to Crowley that perhaps he should be doing something else, too, rather than just kissing and clutching and pulling Aziraphale closer. He knew the sorts of things that humans did, and maybe he should? But he was so engrossed that he couldn't seem to make the effort, official or otherwise. 
Xerophil didn't seem to mind. His hands cupped around the back of Curly's head, fingers tangling in the hair at the nape of his neck, and he alternated between kissing Curly's mouth and just breathing against it, hot and humid. Crowley, he said in that voice again, looking at him with half-lidded eyes. Oh, Crowley. Yes, love, Crowley said, rather more brightly than he would have thought he could manage at this juncture. Aziraphale closed his eyes, looking overcome. Crowley, you know, you know that you, you gave me. His voice cut off with a moan as Crowley rubbed long fingers up, right around the base of his wings where they met his shoulders. What was that, Angel? Crowley was half sincere, half shitty grin about it. Oh, God, do that again, Aziraphale demanded, breathy. Like this? Aziraphale nodded, shaking. Crowley watched his face hungrily, the tremble of his lower lips, his eyes fallen shut. Longer ago than Crowley cared to think about, long and long, before the fall, when they were all almost nothing but wings. Then angels had mingled and merged and flowed into one another unhindered. He remembered very distinctly the flow, the meshing, the blurring of borders. He didn't think all that was possible in their current corporeal state, at least not exactly. But somehow the contrast and participation of these fragile physical forms, the super superfluous breaths that felt so essential right now, the warmth and prickle of skin on skin, made it different, but maybe better. Maybe next time they could add more human things. Crowley shivered at his own presumption. Next time. Don't think about that. Is it good? Crowley asked, half teasing out of self-defense. His heart was creaking with fullness. Tell me, angel. Aziraphale, gasping, gave him a sideways look, and then very deliberately slid one of his clutching hands down the back of Crowley's neck inside his rather loosened collar, between his shoulder blades. Crowley hissed emphatically, his whole body jerking. Humming, Aziraphale drew glistening feathers back, sitting back enough to study them. His eyes were a little glazed over, but his mouth quirked, and he met Crowley's eyes as he delicately licked his fingertips. Aziraphale, Crowley croaked, shocked, delighted, gaping. Hmm, replied Aziraphale, commentary and also answer. He licked his upper lip. Hmm, Crowley managed and kissed him again and, and wrapped his wings up and around them both. The sensation of their wings brushing over one another was entirely, excessively, sublimely too much. Crowley tried to choke back a cry and failed miserably. Xerophil didn't even try, it seemed, just cried out wordless into Crowley's mouth. It was too much, like a shock of hot and cold water curling together, like ancient grafted trees inseparable, like fingers interlocking, secure and desperate. Crowley writhed a little. Don't stop, don't. Stay with me, Crowley, please, Xerophil panted against Crowley's lips, pressing and stroking his wings against Crowley's. Almost a ringing of hands, but a bit less anguished, a bit more ecstatic, and decidedly more feathery. This idiot, Crowley thought briefly, as if I'd ever leave. And then his thoughts flashed to the one thing he had to strain the most not to protest earlier, 
when he was trying to just listen to Aziraphale's broken voice. Suddenly, it was the most vital thing in the world to answer that now immediately. Pleading, he said, you are not alone, Angel, you are not, I swear. Aziraphale laughed a little wildly and put his hands at Curly's sharp jaw, setting their foreheads together. I know, my darling, my dearest beloved. I know, I know. And then whispered to him, Ahuvi, Ahuvati. There was only so much a poor demon could take. Crowley's mind whited out brilliantly. He felt Aziraphale shining and shining through every part of him. He felt like the moon, luminous and impossibly reflective. He wasn't actually unconscious, but Crowley came back to himself to find Aziraphale kissing his closed eyelids very softly. Aziraphale was breathing hard, drinking in air like a delicacy. Crowley remembered, once 2,000 years ago or thereabouts, a traded miracle, the first one well before they had an officially shared arrangement. He couldn't quite remember how it had happened, though he suspected it might have been due to too much date wine in an inn in Brethel. They'd both had too much, and to get Aziraphale to stay the evening, a drunk Crowley had rashly promised to do his chores for him in the morning, including troubling the healing waters at the Pool of Bethesda the next day. It should have been nothing. He'd been invisible, his wings sweeping ripples out over the surface of the pool. He even had mental excuses ready in case any hellish inquiries. Only one human could be healed each time. The others had to stew in bitterness and disappointment. Surely that could be turned to infernal purposes, and so on. Instead, all the waiting infirm humans had held back watching to let a mother with a tear-streaked face bring her pale, coughing child forward. Instead, they'd all smiled at the child's newly brightened face, patted the mother's hands and cheeks, wet again with tears, thanked God and also the angel of the pool, rejoiced. It had left him feeling almost like this, quivering, broken open. He hadn't collected any favors in return. He hadn't proposed such an exchange again for almost 200 years. It was too much, and he'd refused to think about it then, and why should he start now? Aziraphale seemed utterly uninterested in sitting up or moving away. They clung together, breath evening out slowly. Aziraphale mostly collapsed. He must be tired, Crowley thought. Crowley's legs were a bit pins and needles, but he was remaining entirely mum on the subject. He'd magic it away if he had to. Every so often, one of them brushed a wing back and forth over the other, and they both shivered again. You didn't let me finish my thought before, Aziraphale said eventually, stroking Crowley's hair back off his forehead. Hmm? Crowley leaned into the hand. You've given me so much love. What? Like, he waved one hand upwards, downwards. An alternative that I could bear. I couldn't, but you gave me that, my dear. Took you long enough, Crowley thought, but he'd never say it. It had taken him almost 3,000 years to fully admit to himself that he wasn't just regularly seeking out a certain angelic counterpart for professional reasons. So he, who was he to cast stones, really? Oh, someone. And Aziraphale wasn't finished. Of course he wasn't. 
I'm sorry it took me so long. Curly interrupted. He had to. Angel, please. He couldn't take this just now with everything raw and open. But there was no dissuading him. Xerophile put his forehead back against Crowley's again, and Crowley shivered under the crushing weight of so much earnestness. You give me faith, dearest. You, you make me still believe, you. Now who's blaspheming, Crowley cut in, sputtering, because he couldn't endure this. Either it wasn't really true, in which case they were probably both about to be obliterated by some sort of divine retribution, or, or the alternative didn't bear considering. Xerophil smiled, radiated, beamed. When will my suffering end? Crowley wondered distantly, helplessly looking at his soft face. I love you, Anthony J. Crowley. Crowley whimpered, pressed his face into Xerophil's neck. Where was that divine obliteration when you really needed it? Eventually, they had to pull themselves together and get off the couch. Crowley stretched one eye on Aziraphale measuringly. He was sitting at his desk, humming vaguely as he retied his bow tie. His wings were gone for now. He looked better, if perhaps a little tired, a little wilted. Speaking of which, Crowley sauntered back from the front door, plant in tow. Brought you something. Oh, Aziraphale stopped buttoning his waistcoat and tilted his head, pleased but puzzled cupped its pot in his hands. It's lovely. Such striking leaves. What's its name? It's a begonia. A type of begonia. And it's not meant to have those yellowing patches, Crowley said, glaring pointedly. It should know better, shouldn't it? He could see Aziraphale restrain himself from obviously hovering protectively over the thing. I'm delighted to have you, little one, he cooed over it. Ugh. Lost causes both of them. He peered up at Crowley's face. But I wouldn't have thought. He paused. I didn't think you gave your plants second chances. Crowley didn't really know what he'd been thinking, bringing that little disappointment over here. Brave new world and all, he muttered. So who knows? Aziraphale blinked at him like he heard him say something else. Really? Curly wanted to, den to deny everything. Instead, he stared squinty-eyed at the ceiling and said, It's an angel wing begonia. Crowley, don't. Ugh, I'm not saying anything, Crowley said between his teeth. Yes, dearest, said Aziraphale, glowing. Crowley maybe reflected it just a bit. The End